0: According to Oscar Wilde, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. However, according to Ralph Waldo Emerson, imitation is nothing short of suicide. On this episode of the History of Advertising podcast, we are looking back at two campaigns from brands which, how shall we put it, drew inspiration from what had already gone before. Both of them were spoofs. One went on to become one of the most definitive drink ads of all time, and the other one never got made.
1: Try a taste of the sweet life.
0: In the 70s, Martini launched a series of television ads which relied on a few simple ingredients. There were beautiful people, there were exotic locations, including ski chalets and oversized boats, and there was a catchy jingle played by a triumphant orchestra. As the jingle reached its climax, viewers were practically intoxicated with the glamour of it all. However, it's a truth universally acknowledged that any successful ad will soon be in want of spoofing. When Sir Frank Lowe, one of Adeland's greatest account men of all time, was tasked with launching a campaign for Cinzano, an Italian vermouth, he decided that it was time to take Martini down a peg or two.
1: We got the Cinzano account, and typical of the kind of thing I always wanted to do, I said to Ron Collins, who was the writer, do me a campaign that takes the piss out of Martini because Martina was the, the most beautiful people in the world, oh, do, 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 you know, that stuff. I hated it. I just don't like what I call lifestyle
0: advertising. I never liked it. So we did a campaign to take the piss out of it. And in order to take the greatest amount of piss possible, the team brought in Leonard Rossiter, a comic actor best known for his role in the sitcom Rising Damp, as well as the then-unknown Joan Collins.
1: Joan got that part in Dynasty from that campaign. And every time I see Joan now, and I see her quite often in town or whatever, she says, we have got any more ads for me, Frank? Always. I say, I do I've retired, actually, now.
0: Still, never mind. In the adverts, Leonard and Joan play a married couple. Leonard is a pretentious, bumbling oaf who orders Cinzano, sighs about its wonders, and then promptly spills the drink down poor Joan's cleavage.
1: You're Cinzano bianco, signora. Uh,
0: uh, Thank you. Ah, yes, gracias. Ah, do, eh? No, 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 my a Cinzano as well. Ah, oh, that's better. Uh, oh, can't you just smell those Italian wines, suffused with herbs and spices from, spices from four, four continents. i con- being boring. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, all right. Get in your head down, sweetie. a good idea.
1: From the house of Cinzano, Cinzano Bianco.
0: The first set of ads were directed by Sir Alan Parker, who later went on to direct films like Avita, Midnight Express and Bugsy Malone. He recalls how the idea for spelling the drink over Joan wasn't in the original script, and that the actual idea came from Leonard. He recalls how CDP, the ad agency behind the campaign, had a knack for letting its directors experiment and develop material on set.
1: That's a classic example, really, of CDP. They'd done the script, it'd gone through the client, we are talking to the actor to do it, and then I was able to improvise with the actor to do something that then became the centerpiece of an entire campaign that went on for years. And that was their CDP's strength to be able to say to the client, I know you've approved that script, but we've made it better and it's different. And they would go along with it because they, they got in the habit of actually seeing the work improve. We were able to, to be inventive and if it got better, there's nothing better than a copywriter and art director on a set saying, "When you say Look, have you seen what she just did?" she did that, and that was much better than how we imagine it to be, and then they get as excited as you do you know in in directing it, and that that was that was really the best period of it to be allowed to do that, to be free to change things.
0: In this day and age, it would be practically unheard of for an ad to be delivered that strays so far from what has originally been signed off by the client. Has Adland lost something by tightening the client sign-off process? Very possibly. However, unbridled creativity does not always produce winning results. This is shown by the unused idea for a spoof ad, which some young copywriters came up with for After Eight. Their plan was to send up the dinner party ad, which had been used to advertise the After Eight brand since its entrance into the market.
1: Although I say it myself, I'm very good at throwing dinner parties. I just give them lots of good food and drink, and I listen to them. Coffee and marvellous chocolate After Eight mints, creamy peppermint, and all that taste in a slim shape like this.
0: After Eight wafer-thin mints. Luxury. Plain, unashamed luxury. And yours for the asking. Judy Lannan was appointed by renowned ad agency JWT in 1968, and shortly afterwards she established its Consumer Research Department. Here, she explains why the dinner party was such an enduring ad.
2: The brand had been invented by JWT, and it had been the packaging, the advertising, all of the name, everything around it was a JWT idea, and the dinner party, which became so well-known and well-fixed in people's imagination, had run for, I don't know, several years. It was a, a, a campaign that was really very popular because it presented a fantasy world. The dinner party ad was a success, but some
0: young copywriters felt that it had overstayed its welcome and that it was high time for After Eight to mock itself.
2: One of the things that I loved about JWT was the creative people would often make the rough commercials them, themselves. And in this case, the group went down to Portsmouth Harbor, rented a boat. Um, the account man was in black tie. The creative director was uh, was in black tie. Um, the woman was all dulled up and whatever. Voiceover was as well after I have whined them and dined them and given them lashings of black coffee. And then as it normally went, I pull out the after eights or whatever the end of the sentence is and she goes oop forgot the after eights at which point the boat sinks and it was quite funny um you know if if you saw it for what it was and then the end of it copywriter coming out of the water carrying a candelabra with Rule britannia playing in the background so it was you know it was a spoof and a clearly a quite a witty spoof sadly
0: though it was a witty spoof which never got made as part of her role as a consumer researcher, Judy set up research groups across a country to test the idea for the ad across a large cross-section of the population. She was tasked with finding out whether the proposed ad would galvanise or shatter the After 8 brand. The results were far from promising.
2: It was quite clear this was a total failure. Um, it shattered ideas of the brand, which had been a sort of safe and, and aspirational kind of thing, it was, wasn't was thought to be very funny. It was thought to be just poking fun at something that was didn't deserve to have fun poked at it. Um, so I reported that back, and the, and the client was relieved, and the count people were relieved, and the creative guy said, all right, I give up. And um, we went back to the dinner party. I said... To everybody I ever researched, these things have a a life that is very, very long, and it takes quite a long time to get something established. And once it's established, hang on to it. And so,
0: instead of opting for a bit of self-deprecation, After Eight clung on to the dinner party. And across the decades, the brand has reinterpreted the idea in various forms. In the early noughties, After Eight launched a campaign fronted by Stephen Fry and Naomi Campbell which saw them hosting the perfect dinner party, with guests ranging from Albert Einstein to Marilyn Monroe. And then, eight years later, and 56 years after the original dinner party ad we heard earlier was shown, After Eight launched a £2.6 million campaign, which centred on the famous open invite dinner parties, which are held weekly by American expat Jim Haynes in his Paris art studio. Every Sunday evening, Jim operates an open house policy, cooking dinner and providing drinks for anyone who cares to drop by.
2: It started with small random gatherings
1: around 30 years ago. Now I throw an open dinner party each week and around 70 strangers show up. Although we do get the odd regular. I've probably had about 130,000 people to dinner by now. People always ask how I get rid of everyone at the end of the
0: night. Truth is, I've never been very good at that. Jim is shown handing out after eights at the end of the perfect night out. It's the dinner party ad from all those years ago, but reimagined and made relevant to a contemporary audience. The message, after all, is just the same. If you want to have a good dinner party, make sure you provide after eights. Both ads from this episode have shown us that it's fine to make fun of a competitor, but the brands should think very carefully before they spoof themselves. They may end up cutting short a world-beating idea which could run for several more years. After all, good ideas have a long life. The History of Advertising podcast was presented by Jack Maggot Phillips and featured contributions from Sir Frank Lowe, Sir Alan Parker and Judy Lannan. The programme was produced by Jane Jarvis and Jack Meggett phillips If you're interested in learning more about the ads featured on this programme and the work of the History of Advertising Trust, please visit hatads.org.uk. Thank you for listening.